We thought we'd pick a topic tonight that doesn't elicit any strong emotions. I'm just kidding. The subject of Jesus is often a cultural raw nerve, with some people asserting that the whole thing never happened. Can we please stop talking about it? While others are happy to tell you that Jesus came to appease God and die for your sins, and that believing that is absolutely make or break for your eternal destination. You have another group who believe that Jesus was a good guy, an advanced spiritual teacher who set an example we can follow. Just a warning, what you're going to hear tonight is a brand new area code. We're going to look at it from the 10,000-foot view, the nature and history of God in the human form, the nature of the threat the human race was facing, what the birth meant, what the person meant, and where that leaves us now. So if you would, let's relax our pre-existing opinions for a bit and take a look at this version of what could be the pivotal story in human history. Then you can turn it over in your own mind and see if there's anything to it. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Swedenborgian Life. Last show of 2015. Well, I mean, last normal format show. We're going to do one other one. I'll tell you about that at the end. We're just reminiscing over kind of where the show has come uh, over the course of the year, and it's been a very cool ride, so thank you for coming. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'm going to be the host of the show tonight. And if you want to be part of this discussion, why wouldn't you get your questions and your comments in? Today, since it's Just about coming up to December 25th, which a lot of the world celebrates as the birth of Jesus Christ or Christmas, we thought we would take a look at what does Swedenborg say about the Jesus phenomenon? Because as we said in the intro, people have a lot of over uh, opinions that don't seem to mesh. And is there a different spot and what really makes sense? And the Swedenborgian take on it is fascinating, and we're going to drench you in the knowledge of that tonight. So let's take a look, and we begin, as I said, it's going to be the the 10,000-foot view. We're going to be looking at things. You could go into much more detail on each of these sections. could be its own show, but instead, they're all one show. So we're going to move quickly. We're going to look first at the divine human and where it's been before Jesus Christ. So here comes section one. make it clearer, which is basically the reason we do everything on this program, we're going to lay out a little timeline for you and show you why we're picking the sections we are. We're beginning here at the very, very first dot, which is a great place to start in a timeline. This is the before, before picture, meaning this is not even close to when Jesus came in the world. This is sort of how things always were before the phenomenon. And we want to start to get a description of that. We're looking at the divine human, because if Jesus Christ, as spoiler alert, Swedenborg says that Jesus Christ is the human manifestation of the unknowable divine, if that's so, could God manifest as a human before Jesus? Where, where was that divine human before? Did God change when Jesus came around? What is that? So we're going to look first at the divine human as it's pre-existed. Secrets of Heaven. 280. Remember, click these books, you get free free downloads of them. If, if you're so inclined, you can explore. I say 10,000-foot view, you can pause this and you can read in there, get the, uh, the two-foot view if you want to dig into each thing. Before the Lord's coming into the world, the divine human was Jehovah himself, flowing into people through heaven when his word was being spoken. 
Jehovah was above the heavens, but what passed from him through the heavens was the divine human of those times. It presented the image of a human as a result of Jehovah's influence on heaven. The actual divinity coming from it was the divine person. This, is, this now is the divine human existing from eternity. It is what is described as having been sent, which means going forth. And is the same as the angel here in the passage from the word under consideration. Ignore that last part, because that's talking about what Swedenborg is talking about there. He's going on a tangent from another conversation, which happens to be a, now a tangent in our conversation at the end of it, right? So don't worry about it. The point is what he was saying about the divine human, that there is this essence of God, but God flows not directly into us, but first through heaven and through heaven into human beings. And because of that, popping through heaven, it gains this human form, and that human could appear and be the, the, the image of God. Confusing? Let's confuse it more with more of that number, but this is going to have some diagrams, which actually hopefully should have the opposite effect. So this is further Secrets of Heaven 6280. Still, it is important to know that the Lord's divine humanity is above the heavens, just as his actual divinity is. After all, he is the sun that lights heaven so heaven is far below him. The divine humanity that is present in heaven is divine truth that emanates from him, or the light radiating from him as the sun. The Lord in his essence is not divine truth, which merely comes from him as light comes from the sun. No, he is divine goodness itself, which is identical with Jehovah. So we have a couple of characters here now. We have the Lord's uh, manifestation, which is divine truth, the Lord's essence, which is divine good. And let's talk a little bit about this divine human. As we saw in there, the truth emanating, emanating out from God, like light emanates from the sun. Light is not the sun, but it's coming out of it, the S-U-N, like the thing in the sky. Light coming out of the sun, but it's not the sun. Uh, the human is what radiates out from God. This human manifestation radiates out from God. Swedenborg says the divine human has always existed. This wasn't something that got invented in the embodiment in Jesus. It's been there. Uh, you, you see it in records from various religious traditions, including the Old Testament. You have uh, God appearing in human form to Moses and other people. But also you have uh, all kinds of traditions, as I said, recording this, a creator that had a human form that you could speak with. Swedenborg even says, in case you haven't gotten weirded out enough if you're turning in for the first time, that he visited people elsewhere in the universe, uh, other inhabited planets, and those people worshipped a god in the human form. He, he, he calls them all part of the human race. Tangent, man. The point is, it's all over. It's not just Jesus. However, Jesus is a very significant part, which we'll be getting to. And it is human because of the form of heaven, which I touched on earlier. Really, the only way to fully appreciate what that means is to watch our show, The Shape of Heaven. This, uh, yeah, we got an animated thumbnails now. That's, that's like end in 2015 strong. Uh, we have The Shape of Heaven, which describes how not that the that heaven is shaped like a person, like, you know, uh, drive down the arm, you get to the leg. It's functionally, heaven is organized like a human body on the grandest scale. And because God moved through that initially to get to the human race, uh, that's what caused the human form. And if you're confused, you're going to be confused more by this. This is a deeper sense of what that whole thing means. Secrets of Heaven 4687. 
the earliest church, and when he says that, he's talking about the, the initial spirituality, not necessarily a particular organization, but the initial spirituality existing on, uh, I think here he's talking about on planet Earth, revered the infinite reality and the resulting infinite presence. The people of that religion could not have any perception of the infinite reality, but they could per- perceive the resulting infinite presence to some extent from perceptible features of their inner self, palpable features in the, of their outer self, and visible features of the world around them. As a consequence, they revered the infinite presence containing the infinite reality. So an image of this great reality. And then moving on to part two, the way they perceived infinite presence containing the infinite reality was as a divine human being because they knew that the infinite presence emerged from the infinite reality through heaven. Heaven is a universal human, that's what I was talking about, corresponding to everything in a person, in whole and in part. Accordingly, the earliest people were unable to perceive or picture the infinite presence in its emergence from infinite reality as anything but a divine human. Whatever comes from infinite reality and passes through heaven as a universal human carries this human image with it in every aspect. So a lot of infinite and woo kind of stuff. Essentially, heaven, because it's organ, because really we're patterned after it, that everybody, heaven is our humans working together in such a way that there is mutually interdependent uh, as a human body and, and is focused on co- contributing to the whole as the individual parts of a human body are. That makes heaven, and that's sort of like a cookie cutter, and when God comes through that to people, he takes on this human form. But initially, heaven takes that human form because the essence of God. So really, there's God who is the essential, then heaven is an echo of that, then we are like another echo of that. We're a microcosm, as Swedenborg says. So let's talk a little bit about that flowing through heaven. Secrets of Heaven 6982. Truth as it is issues straight from divinity. Truth as it issues straight from divinity is audible to no one, not even an angel. For something divine to be heard, it first has to become human, and it becomes human when it passes through the heavens. After it passes through the heavens, it is presented in a human form and turns into speech. The actual speaking is done by spirits, who in that state are called the Holy Spirit one of the more famous spirits in the world. The Holy Spirit is said to emanate from divinity because the holy influence of the Spirit, or the sacred truth which that Spirit then speaks, emanates from the Lord. So there is this truth, the, the, the truth of all truth, you know, this divine essence comes out and you can't even hear it. You can't even hear it. We just don't have... It's like a, a radio that just can't tune to that frequency. You just can't handle it. But if it comes through a person as speech, then it can first be made audible. And so you think about the angels in the Christmas story. You know, the angels appear to the shepherds, and they, 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 don't, they say things to them, and they're not saying things like, what should I say when I see those shepherds? I, I'm going to say, do not be afraid. This is the Holy Spirit, which is God, coming through them. And there's, they're, they're a mouthpiece at that point for divine energy. And that is what you see in, in this... Uh, that that is a divine human coming through, and this was how it was done before Jesus Christ. So you have that set up, and the outcome is shown in Secrets of Heaven six three seven one. Before the Lord's arrival in the world, life flowing from people and into spirits from Jehovah the Lord came through the heavenly kingdom. That is through angels in the heavenly kingdom. This lent the angels the power they then had. So you have. 
the second uh, second part to this. When the Lord came into the world, though, he made the humanity in himself divine, and in doing so, took on the role played by the angels of the heavenly kingdom. So he took on the power that had been theirs. Up till then, you see, the divine influence coming through that heaven has been the Lord's human divinity and was also the divine person that appeared when Jehovah presented itself in human form. But this human divinity came to an end when the Lord himself made the humanity in him divine. From this discussion, you can see how matters stand with a secret here. The angels of the heavenly kingdom do still have tremendous authority, but they have it to the extent that they are in the Lord's divine humanity because they love him. So that's a spoiler, I mean, but the... the essence is that you have uh, this setup initially where God could come through heaven into people's minds, okay? So that's how it worked. It was the angelic, like God comes through heaven, touches human minds. That system was working all right, but it needed to be changed. There needed to be this new setup coming, which God effected through Jesus Christ. But why, why do that? What was pushing God into doing that? Well, we're going to see that in part two, the threat. All right, we begin this segment as always with our timeline to get our bearings. So this is the before before picture, we've moved on to just the before picture. This is immediately preceding Jesus Christ. This is sort of the conditions that Jesus came into. So to understand why Jesus was needed, we got to understand the equilibrium. And Swedenborg lays this out in a short little pamphlet that he made called Canons for the New Church. He describes the state of the spiritual world which prompted the need for God to come through in human form. Between heaven and hell there is an interspace, into which evil exhaling from hell ascends, and good descends from heaven, and there they meet. In the midst of this interspace there is an equilibrium between good and evil. From this equilibrium it is known how much good prevails over evil, or evil over good. The Lord there weighs it as in a balance. The equilibrium is elevated toward heaven as evil prevails over good, and is depressed towards hell as good prevails over evil, since good from heaven depresses it, and evil from hell elevates it. This equilibrium is as a footstool to the angels of heaven, in which their good terminates and upon which it rests. According to the degree in which this equilibrium is elevated, the happiness of the angels of heaven from their goods and thence truths is diminished. When evil prevails over good on the earth, at the same time hell prevails over heaven. From these things it is evident that the end of the church is at hand, when the power of evil prevails over the power of good. So how we are here, whether we're nice or mean to each other, is not just affecting us, it's affecting everyone. And we know as Swedenborg says, we're here, we die, we move on to the spiritual world, you go where you love to go, whether that's heaven or hell, but it's not like there you lose contact with the world. When evil is winning on earth, this messes up everything. This messes it up for heaven, uh, it messes it up for the world of spirits, and it got to the point where there was a real departure 
from equilibrium, from the state needed to be maintained. You think about homeostasis and the body's ability to regulate a particular temperature it needs, particular hydration levels, uh, levels of electrolytes, all those kinds of things. The body has to hold it just in a certain range or else you're in a lot of trouble. And it's the same thing on the larger scale with the whole human race, unless we hit that balance. And that was being threatened, so everybody was almost in a lot of trouble. God anticipated this shift in the spiritual world and decided to do something about it. Secrets of Heaven 4687. When this heavenly church began to slide, so this was the, back in the day, everybody had this really cool spirituality. They, they just like ideally, like you'd think it would be how they related to each other, what religion type stuff was to them it was awesome, but it began to decay. Its people foresaw that the infinite presence would no longer be able to exert an influence on human minds and that the human race would be destroyed as a result. Therefore, they received a revelation that one would be born who would make the humanity in himself divine. In the process, he would become the same infinite presence that had existed before, and at the last, he would become one with the infinite reality that had also uh, existed before. So that direct connection that we said in the first, the first section, the divine human, God communicated with heaven, and heaven communicated with the mind of human beings here. That was in jeopardy, because people were closing that off. They were turning away from the love that opens you up to heaven, which is love for everyone else, turning towards caring only about yourself. That was throwing off the whole balance. And because of that, the mechanism that God was reaching uh, people through couldn't last. Secrets of Heaven 6373. It says, divinity flowing through the heavenly kingdom could not remain pure, since heaven is not pure, and the heavenly kingdom is therefore not strong enough for everything to be kept in order by means of it. As a consequence, infernal and diabolical spirits at that time climbed up out of hell and gained control over souls coming from the world. The result was that none then could be saved except the heavenly, and that's a Swedenborgian technical term for those who are motivated by love rather than by truth. Eventually, even they could barely have been saved had not the Lord taken on a human nature and made this humanity in himself divine. So everything was in jeopardy, and it was because of hell was gaining ground and the very connection that we have was threatened. And so let's lay it out. How was hell threatening? We'll look in deeper detail. This is what Swedenborg described uh, having learned from the spiritual world and his experiences there. Here's the map of everything. We have the natural world and us, where that blue lady on the right, you have heaven, the world of spirits, and hell. This is the basic categories of existence, as Swedenborg described them. The first thing has to do with the world of spirits and what was going on there. The way he said it, it had gotten so out of balance, there was so much evil in the world of spirits that we first die, when you first die... Who do you meet up with? With the people that you knew, your friends, your family members, the people you'd want to see after you die. So the way Swedenborg was saying it, you get in contact with those people and you start to enjoy their company, you get pulled in. However, the world of spirits was packed with people who were evil. I mean, they looked like they were good and they could put on a front, but we have them as these like party people in this. But 
inwardly they were malicious, and they would worm their way into all kinds of social circles. So by the time you met your family and friends, they'd already kind of been taken in by these unsavory characters, and so they would introduce you into this group, and that would slowly, everybody's morality would decay because of how those people were. Because as Swedenborg says uh, in his book, True Christianity, uh, he talks about the uh, the contagiousness of evil. This is from True Christianity 120. Interaction with evil people there has this contagious effect, as you can clearly see from the following similar situations. As you spend time with thieves or pirates, you eventually become like them. Note that in Swedenborg's time, there were thieves and pirates. I mean, that was really something you had to deal with. As you live among adulterous men and promiscuous women, eventually you think nothing of adultery. If you join a rebel group, eventually you think nothing of doing violence to anyone. All evils are contagious. They are like a plague you become infected with just by breathing in and out. They are like cancer and gangrene that spread and corrupt nearby areas, then more and more remote areas until the whole body dies. The cause? From birth, we all enjoy evil. Which, there's something to it. I mean, all kinds of nastiness, negativity can have a thrill that goes with them that makes them very hard to say no to if if they're presented to you. And it makes it very easy to justify them in your mind, come up with reasons why it's okay that I'm bent on revenge towards this particular person, you know, they deserved it, or whatever your particular vice is. So it has that magnetic effect, and the world of spirits was getting so polluted. And if you don't like those, those old-school scenarios he puts out, think about current things. You know, you hang with the wrong crowd, you get dragged down too. That's what was happening. So there was the spiritual world messed up, but that doesn't just, the spiritual world isn't just in a vacuum as he describes it. Even heaven, where you have angels, you sort of think of heaven as uh, aloof and different. But even there, uh, the angels were being affected. So in our next part, we see that angels uh, need the world of spirits to be what it is. The Lord restrains not only all people, but also all angels from evil and keeps them focused instead on what is good. According to Swedenborg, angels are people, you know, like us, we can aspire to be angels, and we don't get all of our evil, all the evil stuff we have wiped out, it just gets dormant. God is holding us back. No angels or people are good on their own, so that's what he's saying. Everything good comes from the Lord. When the angel's footstool, meaning the world of spirits, was stolen, it was as if the platform under someone's chair was suddenly removed. And you can see a picture of this that we animated here handily, uh, where if hell is here and they're pulling the world of spirits down because the world of spirits' enjoyment and evil pulls you naturally towards hell, that pulls heaven down as well. The angels need to rest on an equilibrium in the world of spirits, but if hell is getting too strong, everything gets out of whack. And Swedenborg goes on to talk about this more uh, in his book, True Christianity. Without that redemption, now he's talking about the effect of Jesus Christ coming into the world. No human being could have been saved, and no angels could have continued to exist in their state of integrity. First, I need to say what redemption is. To redeem means to free the captive and the bound from damnation, to rescue them from everlasting death, to snatch them from hell, and to carry them away from the hand of the devil. The Lord did this by gaining control over the hells and establishing a new heaven. You can see next what he does is through the act of Jesus Christ, and we're going to get into how, he pulls everything back where it belongs, adds some extra shininess to heaven so that it's not vulnerable, the world of spirits isn't vulnerable in the same state as before, and this 
recreates that essential equilibrium. And that's essential not just for people in the world of spirits or heaven or hell, but it's also essential for us in the natural world because uh, we are so interconnected with heaven and hell, with the way our minds work. So if you see next, we, we are interacting consistently with heaven and hell. We are gaining, we are absorbing attitudes, ways of thinking about life, trading with heaven and hell. Otherwise, we could not have been saved, he goes on to say, because the spiritual world is so closely connected to the earthly world that they are inseparable. The main connection between the two worlds is through our inner levels, our souls and our minds. For good people, that connection is with the souls and minds of angels. For evil people, it is with the souls and minds of hellish spirits. We are so united to the angels of the hellish spirits that if they were taken away from us, we would fall down as dead as a piece of wood. Neither could the angels or hellish spirits continue to exist if we were taken away from them. So really, it's like a whole big human body there. It's so interconnected there as well. If things are messed up, everything's messed up. There's no, Not even heaven is going to be okay if the earth, the world of spirits, hell is all out of whack, and everything was out of whack, and it was so bad that only the divine could fix it, as we see in true Christianity. One, two, three. Redemption was something only the divine could bring about, and here's Swedenborg trying to... He would see all this stuff vividly from living experience and trying to communicate the emotion of it. You see him here struggling to get it across. If you knew what hell is like and you knew how high it swelled and how it flooded the entire world of spirits at the time of the Lord's coming, and you saw the great power with which the Lord cast hell down and scattered it and then restructured both it and heaven in accordance with the divine design, you could not help being stunned and exclaiming that all of it was something only the divine could do. Hell consists of millions, since it consists of all from the creation of the world who have alienated themselves from God through their evil lives and false beliefs. The the Lord uses the same divine power today to fight against hell in every one of us who is being regenerated. Hell attacks us with diabol- all with diabolical fury. If the Lord did not counter hell and control it, we could not help succumbing. So, we don't want to succumb. Everybody is on the brink of disaster, and that is exactly when you need a hero to show up. And it just so happens that at that point in history, a hero did. And we're going to see it in part three. Okay, yeah, so for this section, part three, the big move, we don't really need our timeline. Just kidding. I know you're worried for a second there. We're going back to the timeline. Here it is. So we had the before picture. Now you have the center point. This is actually the coming of Jesus. This is the moment when it happened. This is this physical manista- manifestation, uh, Jesus Christ, is how God could make this shift. You know, heaven and hell are all messed up. World of Spirits is messed up. The human psyche is messed up. You can see in history that was a very, very barbaric time. Everything's messed up, so God pushes it all back. But how does he do it? He doesn't do it with his hand. He does it with this physical manifestation. Secrets of Heaven 6373. Divine truth from Jehovah, the Lord, flowed through heaven into the human race. But this was inadequate once people abandoned what was good. So the Lord came into the world and made the human nature in himself divine. 
His purpose was for divine truth to radiate from his own, divine humanity, his own divine humanity, and in this way save humankind, which would receive goodness by means of truth. He was creating a new pipeline for delivery of redemption or delivery of the kinds of thoughts and feelings that will lead you into the heavenly mindset. Unless there's a way for that to poke through, we never get out of our illusions, our misconceptions, our cravings. God has to be able to talk, but if we can't hear, He's got to find a new way to reach us. And Jesus Christ was that new way. And I thought since we're here, sort of balancing on the fulcrum of the show, right in the middle, we take a moment to, to contemplate a little bit, because hopefully we've set up a little bit leading up to this, just how important Jesus Christ was, and how essential His manifestation was to our continued existence today. So we're going to just do a little correspondences section here, which is sort of a meditation where you look at objects and consider the deeper realities behind them. We have a couple of nativity scenes, or crushes, where it's the, the birth in the manger. And no, in Swedenborgian terms, all these elements, the baby lord, the wise men, shepherds, Mary, Joseph, it all has psychological meaning. It represents the deeper spiritual components of human beings and how God was rescuing those. So we're going to show you a few of those and just contemplate uh, the meaning of it uh, and the gravity of it, and then move on with our story. So here you go. was a problem, and we know that the birth of Jesus was important, and it was a solution to a problem, but how? I mean, how does Jesus getting born mess with that? How is that going to affect the human psyche? What was the meaning of the whole thing? If you're asking yourself that, it sounds like you have a case of Jesus questions, and luckily we've got the antidote in our next section. Beginning of a section. What is it time for? It's time for the timeline. We're moving past the center point now. This is the after picture, and I'm not talking about after Jesus Christ, I'm talking about after the birth, meaning this is during the life of Jesus and what was happening there. So we want to be, ask all the questions we possibly can, so let's start with who. That's a good question. Who is Jesus Christ? This is true Christianity 81. Uh, or Swedenborg describes it. Jehovah means the underlying divine reality, which existed from eternity. But the human aspect that he took on in time was not that underlying reality. When we say the Lord, we mean Jehovah and his human manifestation. This concept of the Lord has an excellence that surpasses all other concepts. So Jesus Christ is the underlying divine reality pushed into a human form made human, made able to live a life like human beings do it. But how do you take something that's infinite 
and make it and you know have it be born to a human woman and have it finite and then become it. What, what is all of that? In case you need that sorted out, here we have a clip of Dr. Jonathan Rose, who is a Swedenborgian translator, he, talking about this very phenomena as Swedenborg describes it. You have infinite A plus finite X, finite X being Mary. So you have God plus Mary equals, well, you have a beginning and an end picture, but at the beginning what you have is infinite A on the inside and finite Y on the outside. I mean, this is a different finite being than Mary, uh, but the only thing it could possibly be on the inside is infinite A because infinity is indivisible. You can't divide it. And this is a very important concept. So we think about the Son of God and we think, well, that must be an offspring or an offshoot or a something or a half something or whatever. But it doesn't work that way with infinity. We're thinking about finity or something. Uh, with infinity, the result of this has to still be infinite because that's the nature of there's only one infinite and it can't be anything other than that. It's not divisible. And so what happens here is that this infinite soul gets on the inside and then you have this finite body on the outside that comes from this pairing. But infinity has a transformative effect. If you have infinity in your attic and finity in your basement, your infinity will take over your basement. Like it will transform your basement. Uh, it'll take some time to do that. But so the Jesus story is the story of someone who was internally infinite, who was externally finite. I mean, you can tell he's finite because he was in one place and not in another place. And then he moved over here, in which time he was not over there. You know, <laughs> he, he, he was finite. But uh, over time, he became infinite A on the inside and infinite A on the outside. Uh, and that's why all the stuff disappeared from the tombs and you know, it all became infinite uh, because that infinity in the attic had a transformative effect on the finiteness that was in the basement and eventually transformed it so that the whole thing was the same infinite A that this was. If you want more on that thread, check out spiritandlifebiblestudy.com. That is Dr. Jonathan Rose's uh, weekly odyssey where he looks at the text of the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, as he puts it. Uh, you can get more on that. You may have noticed that we are saying Jesus Christ is the human manifestation of God, rather than saying Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Although Swedenborg uses that language, we probably you've probably had some bells go off and say, uh, this is seeming a little different than the traditional Christian doctrine of there's God, and God has a Son, and God and the Son are one, but they're separate persons. Swedenborg says, this is all one God. It's just, Jesus Christ is like the body of God, and God is like the soul of God, just like you and I have a soul and a body. So if we are to suspend disbelief and, and believe Swedenborg's interpretation of that, why does Jesus have so much of this father-son language going on? He certainly, if you read the Gospels, talks all the time about the Father often, sometimes like he's the same, but sometimes like they're separate. So why is there all this separate father-son language? Swedenborg has a lot to say about that, including this clip uh, from his Secrets of Heaven 2803. 
The reason the Son here is divine truth and the Father divine goodness is that the union of the divine nature with the human and of the human nature with the divine is the divine marriage of goodness with truth and of truth with goodness. This is the source of the heavenly marriage. In Jehovah, that is the Lord, there is nothing but infinity, and since what is in him is infinite, it cannot be grasped in any way. All we can comprehend is that he is the core reality and emerging presence of everything good and true. In other words, he is goodness itself and truth itself. Goodness itself is the Father, and truth itself is the Son. However, because the divine marriage is a marriage of goodness with truth, and of truth with goodness, as noted, the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father. The Lord himself teaches this in John. Jesus says to Philip, Don't you believe that I am in my Father, and my Father is in me? Believe me that I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. Divine goodness cannot possibly exist or emerge without divine truth, or divine truth without divine goodness. Each exists and emerges in the other, mutually and reciprocally, so the divine marriage clearly has existed from eternity. That is, the Son has been in the Father, and the Father in the Son. However, divine humanity, which was born from eternity, was also born within time. To say that it was born within time is the same as saying that it was transformed or became glorious. That is why the Lord so often said that he was going to the Father who had sent him, or in other words, that he was returning to the Father. So that's who, who Jesus Christ is. Like I said, 10,000 foot view. You could spend forever on who Jesus Christ was. For now, we're going to say he's that. Let's talk about what, what was he up to while he was here. You know, if we want to move through our W questions. True Christianity 3, Swedenborg is on that. By means of his human manifestation, which was divine truth, Jehovah God lifted this pending damnation and redeemed both people and angels. Afterwards, in his human manifestation, he united divine truth to divine goodness, or divine wisdom to divine love. In this way, he returned to the divine nature that he had had from eternity, together with an in the human manifestation, which had been glorified. And if you go anywhere in Swedenborg, you're going to see the joining of love and wisdom, or goodness and truth, or faith and charity. That's the whole game. If you can get those together, everything turns out well, and that's another topic on its own, but essentially those are the two primary elements in God. We get in trouble when they get separated, or good when they're brought back together, and part of what Jesus was doing within himself was pulling those two back together. And you also get the effect of that, redemption, secrets of heaven, 6 to 80. Jehovah could no longer exert an influence on people through this divine humanity of his. So we're talking about the old divine human, you know, how it used to be from the first section, because they had distanced themselves too much from it. We create distance. Um, um, this is me talking here. We create distance when we push away the good that God offers and choose its opposite instead. So he took on a human nature and made it divine. 
Through the influence he had on heaven, as a result, he was able to reach all the way to the human race. The people he reached were those who accepted neighborly love with its goodness and faith, with its truth from the divine human, which had become visible in the process. As a consequence, he was able to deliver such people from hell, which never could have happened otherwise. This liberation is what is called redemption. In case you're wondering what the whole redemption thing is. All right, why? Why was he, not why did he do it, I and mean, hopefully that's self-evident. If, you really, if he really was saving people from misery, that should be its own reason, but why did he do it like he did it? Why did he come as a frail human being who went through struggles, uh, you know, tempted in the wilderness, got crucified, if the, it wasn't that the crucifixion was to appease the anger of the Father God, which Swedenborg says, that's not it at all, why was he like that? Well, the answer is long and complicated. One thing is that his human, his humanity made him accessible to hell. That you saw in that diagram before that you know people would get messed up in the world of spirits, they get pulled down to hell. Hell's not going to pull God down. They're going to burn their hands off trying to grab him. But when he's in a human form, when he has some frailties like us, they can get at him, and then from there he can reorganize them and structure them. We actually did a whole episode about that process here, the spiritual battles of Jesus Christ. Watch that one if you want a lot more in-depth on that. For now, we'll just say this from True Christianity 124. Swedenborg says, God could not have brought about this redemption if he had not taken on flesh, that is, become human, because in his infinite essence, Jehovah God could not come near hell, let alone enter it, as I was saying. He exists in what is first and most pure. If Jehovah God, as he is in himself, were only to breathe on those who are in hell, he would instantly kill them all. And God doesn't want to kill people in hell. He loves everybody. When Moses wanted to see him, he said, You cannot see my faces, because no human being will see me and stay alive. If Moses could not do this, still less could those who are in hell, where everyone exists in what is lowest, densest, and farthest away from God. Those who are earthly are the lowest. Therefore, if Jehovah God had not taken on a human manifestation, clothing himself with a body that is on the lowest level, his understanding any act of redemption, his undertaking any act of redemption would have been a waste of time. Because he's trying to get in to the, to the levels that need it most. And if he couldn't just touch those because he was too powerful and divine, it wouldn't do anything. So that's why he had to get down on the level where he could be vulnerable. So how? How did this whole thing work? Well, he followed his own process. He followed the divine design in what he was doing. True Christianity 89. In the process of taking on a human manifestation, God followed his own divine design. The Lord's life followed this path because the divine design is for people to prepare themselves to accept God. And as they prepared themselves, God enters them as if he were coming into his own dwelling and his own home. It is a law of the divine design that the closer and closer we come to God, which is something we have to do as if we were completely on our own, the closer and closer God comes to us. When we meet, God forms a partnership with us. The Lord followed this design even to the point of union with His Father, the infinite. So God was, was laying down the tracks of the train we all try to drive now. Man, that's a good metaphor. He was living the same story that we now live. We are following that same path. 
that is why he did it like he did it. Divine, we've done other shows that touched on the divine design. God is divine order. He doesn't just do things outside of it. So he did it how it had to be done and how we can now do it. And we're going to look a little more closely at that phenomenon. This is a clip from Swedenborg's True Christianity, number 104. The Lord had two states while he was in the world, one called being emptied out and the other called glorification. The reason why the Lord experienced these two states is that no other method of achieving union could possibly exist. Only this method follows the divine design, and the divine design cannot be changed. The divine design is that we arrange ourselves for receiving God and prepare ourselves as a vessel and a dwelling place where God can enter and live as if we were his own temple. We have to do this preparation by ourselves, yet we have to acknowledge that the preparation comes from God. This acknowledgement is needed because we do not feel the presence or the actions of God, even though God is in fact intimately present and brings about every good love and every true belief we have. This is the divine design we follow, and have to follow, to go from being earthly to being spiritual. The Lord had to go through the same process to make his earthly human manifestation divine. This is why he prayed to the Father. This is why he did the Father's will. This is why he attributed everything he did and said to the Father. This is why he said on the cross, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? In this state, God appears to be absent. After this state comes a second one the state of being in a partnership with God. In this second state, we do basically the same things, but now we do them with God. We no longer need to attribute to God everything good that we intend and do, and everything true that we think and say in the same way that we used to, because now this acknowledgement is written on our heart. It is inside everything we do and everything we say. In this same way, the Lord united himself to his Father, and the Father united himself to the Lord. In a nutshell, the Lord glorified his human nature, meaning that he made it divine, in the same way that he regenerates us, meaning that he makes us spiritual. Same way, same way he regenerates us. And through the same processes, you see there, Jesus Christ has these two different states. One where he's feeling like he's the man, and he knows he's, he's God, and he, that's where he's casting out demons, healing everybody. And then the other one where he's saying, why, why have you abandoned me? This, this state of vulnerability and pain and confusion. And those were both necessary to make this connection. And don't we go through those states as well, where we are our best self, where we're firing on all cylinders, where we're living by what we think are the, the truest, highest principles where we're really clicking, and then where we're just a mess. Like, we had a bad day, we're mad at the dog, whatever it is, uh, we're not our best self. And that we go through that, whether or not we believe in God or Jesus, we, we have those same states, the connection to the, to the higher, to the best, which Swedenborg says that all comes from God, and then we have the, uh, what am I, everything's a mess. I thought I had all this spiritual practice I was doing, and none of it's working now. So we go through those states, and hey, if not so bad. It was good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for us, right? So let's bring that number back that we had in here before, Secrets of Heaven 6371, because this is going to mean more now. 
When the Lord came into the world, though, he made the humanity in himself divine, and in doing so, took on the role played by the angels of the heavenly kingdom. So before, it used to be God would come through heaven, speak through angels to people. But now, God could do that himself through Jesus Christ. So he took on the power that had been theirs. Up till then, you see, the divine influence coming through that heaven had been the Lord's human divinity and was also the divine person that appeared when Jehovah presented himself in human form. But this human divinity came to an end when the Lord himself made the humanity in him divine. From this discussion, you can see how matters stand with the secret here. The angels of the heavenly kingdom do still have tremendous authority, but they have it to the extent that they are in the Lord's divine humanity because they love him. So just the structure, the way that angels relate to people, God relates to people, has changed, and it changed for the better enough that it set the human race on the right track. There's a lot. That's a lot to take in in that section. Let's have a recap. Swedenborg lays it out uh, to end here. TC 109. He puts it in slightly different terms, but I think it's good for getting some perspective. All the churches that existed before the Lord's coming could see divine truths only in shadow. After the Lord's coming into the world, a church, and remember, churches, the way Swedenborg uses it, is a state of mind, you know, a state of connection to what is good and true. After the Lord's coming into the world, a church was instituted by him that saw divine truths, or rather was able to see divine truths in full light. Before his coming into the world, the Lord was of course present with people in the church or in that part of your mind, but only indirectly through angels who represented him. Since his coming, he is now directly present with people in the church. In the world, he added on a divine physical form that enables him to be present with people in the church. And then further from that same number, the Lord's process of glorification was a transformation of the human nature they took on in the world. The transformed human nature of the Lord is the divine physical form. A proof of this is that the Lord rose from the tomb with the whole body he had in the world. Nothing was left in the tomb. Through the divine physical form the Lord added on in the world, he enlightens not only our inner spiritual self, but also our outer physical self. If both of these are not enlightened at the same time, we are in shadow. But when they are both enlightened at once, we are in daylight. So it was God connecting with the the outermost elements of what he had created, even taking that outermost physical level and making it divine. So now he has access to us in new ways that end up being really good for us, which incidentally is the point of the entire thing. It's all for us. If you believe that, you may be thinking, If everything's for us and God is great and Jesus came and did all this good stuff, why is life hard? Why hasn't everything been fixed? And that is something we're just going to barely, barely touch on in our last section. If you'll recall, way back in the beginning way back in part one, we looked at the timeline, and we were at the before-before picture, which is just sort of everything extending on backwards forever. Well, now we're going back in to this is coming forwards, the after, like way after Jesus, and including the time in which we are now. You may have noticed, as I said, everything didn't turn rosy after Jesus came. Things were still hard. They're still hard. That balance actually got back out of whack. And Swedenborg says, actually, God saw that one coming. True Christianity 121, the Lord is again, this is Swedenborg writing in in the mid-1700s, the Lord is again doing something similar today, 
since, as I said, today is his second coming, an event foretold throughout the book of Revelation and in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, as well as other places. Maybe you've heard of it, second coming of Jesus Christ, very famous event that a lot of people have been predicting. Swedenborg says it already happened. A difference is that during his, it already happened or is happening. A difference is that during his first coming, the hells were swollen with idol worshippers, sorcerers, and falsifiers of the word. During his second coming, or in Swedenborg's time, the hells are swollen with so-called Christians. Some who are steeped in materialist philosophy, others who have falsified the word by using it to sanction their made-up faith about three divine persons from eternity and about the Lord's suffering as a true redemption, uh, just FYI, especially in true Christianity, he really goes after the Christian church of his day. The dragon and his two beasts in Revelation 12 and 13 mean the so-called Christians just mentioned. Therefore, if the Lord does not come into the world again in the form of divine truth, which is the word, no one can be saved. He's saying the second coming of Jesus Christ was beginning to happen as Swedenborg was writing. However, he said that this second coming, which was needed to dispel because there's all this bad religion. And you, you look at Europe at the time of Swedenborg, there's a lot of bad religion then. And, he's, and that he says that was mucking up the spiritual world, just like everything before we saw in that diagram. But he says, God is not coming back as a person. The person of Jesus Christ is not going to be born again somewhere or come in from the clouds somewhere. It's going to be a spiritual second coming. True Christianity 777. The reason he will not be appearing in person is that ever since he ascended into heaven, he has been in his glorified human manifestation. Okay. In this, he cannot appear before any human beings unless he has first opened the eyes of their spirit. The eyes of the Spirit cannot be opened in people who are engaged in evils and falsities, in any of the goats whom he placed on his left. Therefore, whenever he showed himself to the disciples, he first opened their eyes. We read, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he became invisible to them. A similar thing happened with the women who were by his tomb after he had risen. This is why they were able to see angels sitting in the tomb and hear them speaking with him. So, you can only see Jesus if your spiritual eyes are opened. You can't see him physically. No one can see angels through physical eyes. Even before the Lord rose, it was not the apostles' physical eyes, but their spiritual eyes that saw the Lord in his glorified human manifestation. After they came out of that state, they appeared to themselves to have been asleep. This is clear from the Lord's transfiguration in the presence of Peter, James, and John, and the fact that they were then heavy with sleep. Therefore, it is foolish to believe that the Lord is going to appear in person in a cloud of heaven. Instead, he is going to appear in the Word." since the word is from him, and he is the word. As Swedenborg says, you, you could see Jesus Christ as a person, because he was a physical person. After the resurrection, though, he, was, he had made his physical body spiritual, which is a pretty good trick, and uh, we could get into that too as well. But afterwards, people weren't seeing him with their physical eyes. They were having their spiritual eyes opened. That's why they could see him. And so why doesn't God just open everybody's spiritual eyes so they can all see, everyone can see Jesus Christ? Well, if you've got evils and falsities clogging the way, you can't have your spiritual eyes open. So, again, God is having a problem reaching us because we are a little bit cranky, a little bit selfish. We don't quite um, you know, pave the path for God to get in. So, God is coming. As Swedenborg says, the second coming is going to be in humanity understanding God in a new way. 
And he says that's going to be affected through a new understanding of what he calls the Word, which is an expansive topic, but it certainly encompasses the text of the Bible, like a new understanding. As you see in this show, we're trying to teach a lot about We've had shows on the internal meaning of stories. Swedenborg was all about that. He started his whole thing writing all these books, Secrets of Heaven, on the internal meaning of the Word. And he said that this is where you're going to get the second coming of Jesus in the hearts and minds of people as we understand and live by it. So that may sound a little bit abstract. So let's try to give a concrete example here. This is a video that we released a couple Christmases ago, and it is taking the Christmas story and replaying it with the internal meaning of that story as Swedenborg describes it. So here is maybe an example. I'm not saying this is going to be part of the second coming of God, but the second coming of God is going to be stuff like somehow like that, like a new understanding of the way we look at not just sacred text, but the way we look at life, the way we look at spirituality, and the way that we look at each other. So here is the video clip. Moving softly in secret, in the dark before light, hope for a new day approached in the night. The rooms were all full to the last, with no doubt, so though they wanted to come in, they had to stay out. But there was one small place left with a room to stay, with a small, soft space for this new hope to lay. And because of what shone above, bright and high, regal guests, with gifts stopped by. They gave small parts of what was helpful, precious, and sublime as an image of what this little one would bring in abundance in time. For small as the child was, lying sleeping and curled, he would grow to teach love, to heal a wounded world. Now this happened in Bethlehem back a couple thousand years, it's true, but there's another place in time when it can happen, too. Moving softly in secret, in the dark before light, hope for a new day approached in the night. The rooms were all full to the last with no doubt, so though they wanted to come in, they had to stay out. But there was one small place left with room to stay, with a small soft space for this new hope to lay. And because of what shone above bright and high, regal guests with gifts stopped by. They gave small parts of what was helpful, precious, and sublime as an image of what this little one would bring in abundance, in time. For small as the child was, lying sleeping and curled, he would grow to teach love, to heal a wounded world. We've all been through the night in one way or another, but we can all see the light, receive the love, and pass it on to each other. And you might be thinking, me? This'll never work, it can't be true, but hey, If it happened for Scrooge, couldn't it happen for you? So, again, that's just one little YouTube clip that will move on or whatever. But the point is, that's like a little shade of taking religious concepts, things that seemed esoteric or out there, and having them be so potent and so applicable to life, and have it give us insight and power. Something like that is... I believe, according to Swedenborg, going to be the second coming of Jesus. Like some kind of 
It's spirituality, but it really, really changes the way that we see life and gives us answers to questions we didn't have answers to before. Somehow, that is going to come, and that comes within the heart and mind of each person individually. And as we have this awakening individually, collectively, things start to get better and better. And if Swedenborg is right, you know, we have a very, very bright future. And It'll be fun to, to share it with all of you guys. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to Glencairn Museum, uh, all these nativity scenes that we had. We got to shoot it there, uh, World Nativities Exhibit, which is on now. If you guys enjoyed this show, please give it the like. Please give it the subscribe. You know, that, that would be a Christmas present to us. If you feel like it, you can donate, support the Swedenborg Foundation. We are a nonprofit, so we generous support like yours is what keeps us rolling. Okay. Now we're going to do what we always do, which is answer the questions or at least talk about them for a little bit. We'll get to them. Get yours in now. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be there. get down to it. It's like, this is like Christmas for me. I get to unwrap some questions uh, and we'll see if I, if I send them back or if I answer them. Okay, number one. Gift 12. Then why did Jesus say he would come on a cloud and his footsteps would be heard along with the trumpet? Oh, that's a good question. We like that. Okay, it's because everything is a correspondence. According to Swedenborg, the cloud is a symbol for the literal sense of scripture as he described it. So, like we said, you understanding, taking these stories in the, the Bible, and you use that literal sense to get at this deeper meaning. That's what the cloud means. Uh, I don't, I'd have to look up what the footsteps and the trumpet mean. Everything, according to Swedenborg, if you're going to buy his reading of the Bible, everything, Jesus coming in a cloud is not a literal physical cloud, like, oh, there's a cloud, there's Jesus in the middle of it, but, you know, the people on the other side of the world, they can't see that cloud. It's not a physical thing. It's the cloud is the surface of the material, okay? And everything, footsteps, trumpet, everything in Book of Revelation, check out Swedenborg's Apocalypse Revealed or Revelation Unveiled, as the new translation is, also Apocalypse Explained, which was unpublished, but there he gets into that whole book, what every single word means about it. Uh, so there, you'd have a lot to look at there. Great question. Very much appreciate you keeping me honest. Okay, next one. Barb, does Swedenborg say anything about why Christ died on the cross? Yes, and really, I my best cop-out is, t- check out our show that's called The Spiritual Battles of Jesus Christ, because uh, that gets into the temp- the all the different battles that Jesus had internally, because just like we get reformed through struggle in life, uh, Jesus was doing the same thing. And on the- now, Go watch The Spiritual Battles of Jesus Christ show. Uh, essentially, it was that uh, he was coming from love even when he was being uh, wounded and killed. Uh, he was completely overcoming the hatred of hell. But again, check out that show. All right, next one. Zoe, why does it say when two or more are gathered, there is Jesus? Why can't it just be one? Oh, man, I don't know if I know the answer to this. Um, I'm going to just hazard a few guesses about it. I mean, you know, if Jesus Christ is divine love and wisdom, uh, you know, this manifestation, you need to have somebody to uh, 
express love toward to really get that presence of God. I mean, that would be my thought on it. I don't, I haven't studied that if Swedenborg has a particular passage there. I mean, certainly you can have a relationship, I mean, you can have a connection with God just yourself. It's not like you have to have someone there. However, I do find that with people, you do get this, you know, if if you really are longing to help someone, you'll find yourself saying like, well, these are smarter things than than I would normally be able to say. So there's something to that person, person. But I don't, as, as far as from like a technical aspect, uh, a Swedenborgian aspect, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know. So there's my standard answer. But good question, Zoe. Um, okay, next one. Antoinette, can you explain to me, when Jesus went back to himself, God the Father, how did he wake himself three days later? Um, so he wasn't, uh, he wasn't asleep then. He wasn't, the, the death wasn't uh, any kind of blacking out. This was a full connection. He was more conscious then than he had ever been. Um, so it's not like, you know, the Jesus part of God is a separate consciousness from the God part. I wasn't inside it, you know, even Swedenborg only probably learn this second, third hand, but um, there's a, a connection there so that well, it's not like Jesus can be asleep and then, oh, where was I this whole time? So that, you know, I, I think Swedenborg talks about during those three days, all kinds of stuff was going on. It wasn't just a blackout time, even though to us on a physical level, it looked like he was gone uh, because, you know, when someone pops out of this world, even with someone we care about, goes, we think, oh, they're gone, but they're not gone. They're just in a new place. So I think it was the same thing with him. All right, good. Number, next one. Number what? Five, six. Vovi L. When Jesus returned to God, was the nature between Jesus and God changed at all? Are they separated at all? Um, no, not separated at all. As Swedenborg described, there, there, there was a, ch- you know, you have this God is unchanging. However, as you can see, the way that God, that we can now relate to God or interact with God is changed. Swedenborg does say he glorified his human nature, that there's, there does seem to be a shift in God, as Swedenborg describes it. But it would really be the shift in the way that we perceive, because as he talked about, remember that infinity symbol earlier in the show? There's this divine essence that's eternal, and we can't even grasp it. That is not changing, but the mechanism through which we interact with that God uh, seems to have gotten an upgrade. But as far as Swedenborg describes it, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's as integrated as in us, the soul, the body, and the actions of our lives. Um, so there's not not really any daylight there. There's, not, there's no separation of wills. It's not like Jesus is... Um, can uh, you know is is has some kind of separate love that drives him? He's, he's the manifestation of God. Those are my thoughts on it. Anyway, okay, more. John, as we as flesh clearly have a spiritual advantage. Can you tell me what my most powerful weapon to fight and work for God is? Agreed. You're doing it as we speak. Well, um, I, yeah, we we do have a spiritual advantage, as Swedenborg puts it. Um, which is that we're on, while we're on this planet, we really, really have the capacity to change. That we really, and we have an outer and inner self. So in the spiritual world, as Swedenborg describes, you don't really have any impulse control. You can't put up a front and act like you're different than you are. You can't be one thing and kind of 
act against yourself and change. But here we very much can. We can put out a different image than we are, and that gives us a chance to reflect on ourselves and change. And that might sound rather relatively mundane, but that's powerful because we can take a look at ourselves. What is not ideal? What is not the way that I'd want other people to treat me? That I you know, that I feel like an act towards people. And we can, even if we want to do something harmful, push it away. And that is, seems small, but that that has great power. And so that's on an internal level that anyone can do. Then, you know, on an external level, obviously there's, there's no shortage of ways to help the world. And I, I don't even know for sure. Like, what is it? Is the best thing to do to teach people about spiritually kind of things that we're doing? Uh, or is it to go solve physical problems? You know, like solve poverty, those kinds of things. I think find out where, what really brings you alive. Because we all are, we all have an opportunity to plug in and be useful in a different space. So if you can find out what really works for me, what, when do I feel the most, um, when do I feel the most alive in serving others? Not like, oh yeah, when I, when I was the coolest person, it made me feel really great. When when you're looking to help other people, what really makes you forget yourself uh, and you just want to help, that that may be a space you can plug in or you have some kind of talent there. Um, and beyond that, there's a million, you know, lead by example, do those kinds of things. Uh, There's a lot we can do. And I haven't figured it out totally myself. What is the best way to spend time? Hopefully the best way to spend time is to host web programs on YouTube because then I'm in really good shape. Okay, thanks, John. Next one. Intention. Did Swedenborg ever talk about the Quran? Yes, he did. Um, he, we could do a whole show about Swedenborg and, well, I, maybe we could do a whole show about Swedenborg and Islam. He has some things to say. He, as you may or may not know, Swedenborg was, back before it was cool to say it, saying that everybody can get to heaven regardless of their religion. You just have to live rightly by what you believe. He talks about the spread of Islam and that how people in Christ, the Christian world at the time were saying, how can their God really be real if Islam is spreading so much? And he was saying, that's, that is is a religion that is suited to the character of the people of the regions it's spreading to. That's the best mechanism for them. So this is of God's providence that that's spreading. And actually, Islam was replacing some really harmful uh, practices at the time. So obviously, he's talking about a different situation than the current one. Um, but uh, he was he. It wasn't all flattering the stuff he said, but a lot of it, he he was very much more. Um, accepting of different faiths than his Christian peers at the time. He was sort of a little ahead of his time in that way. So hopefully that's what you're, what you're asking about. Um, uh, you know, he, he goes into the, a little bit about the Quran, but he doesn't like quote from it or anything like that. He talks about Muhammad sometimes, or about people who think that they want to go meet Muhammad in the spiritual world, that kind of thing. But okay, those are a few thoughts on that. Next... PTO life. Jesus balanced the pull between heaven and hell, and before him the world was in a time of distress. Will there ever be a time heaven will have a greater pull on the spirits? Yeah, I was wondering the same thing, PTO life, as we were, as I was watching that equilibrium graph go up and down. I was like, well, what if it went all the way down? And I think, I think that's going to be this, this second coming thing. I mean, right now, as Swedenborg describes it, there's an essential element to the equilibrium. Like, you have to have it so that 
we are in freedom. But I would have to think that if everybody started choosing heaven and the power of heaven got stronger and stronger, you would see some kind of shift, and that would be cool. I think about that that thing moving down and how would that change everybody's life. So I hope so, and you know, in reference to what John was saying, if we all do our part, maybe we can make that happen. You know, maybe not tomorrow, but maybe not that long from now. So that's what I think. Let's do three more. Really appreciate these questions, guys. Sorry we can't always get to all of them. Karen Lynn, does Swedenborg say anything about the Magi or wise men and the star? Yes, in that, um, he doesn't say a ton. He, I know that there are churches, you know, that use Swedenborg's material, and around Christmas they're always like, oh, what do we do? Because he, he spends relatively little time on that Bible story. He talks uh, uh, endlessly about other Bible stories, but this one that we all focus on, he doesn't spend that much time on. However, if you look in that, um, that video we showed, The Christmas and You, those are like paraphrases of what he does really say, that the star is these higher truths, or, you know, I forget exactly what Swedenborgian terms he uses there, and that the wise men symbolize a will uh, to understand the, the proper things to, to be able to accomplish use. So he does say things about them, and, and we paraphrase them in there. Um, so you can check that out. I can't remember exactly where he talks about that, so I can't link you to a specific book. But he says a few things, but but not a not a ton. Uh, it would be nice if he said a little more. Okay, two more. Sharon, some say Jesus wasn't a person, and that we have Christ consciousness when when born. What would you say about that? Yeah, so that was sort of in the beginning. Um, you have, remember that pie chart graph kind of thing. There's people who have different opinions about Jesus, and some people think. Yeah, that um, Christ consciousness is a thing that a person achieved in Jesus, or and it gets down to sort of semantics. I mean, the way Swedenborg lays it out, you know, Jesus was a completely uh, unreproducible phenomenon. This was God doing something very specific. However, the whole point was to set up a way to communicate with us and to set a pattern that we could follow, that we go through the same, we don't do it as well as Jesus did it, but we try to move toward it. If you want to call that Christ consciousness, we could. Swedenborg does say that Jesus Christ really, really was a person that walked the earth. So people may dispute that, uh, which is fine, but the way Swedenborg says it, Jesus was actually a person. And as far as, yeah, do you want to call it, Swedenborg calls it regeneration. Some people call it Christ consciousness. Um, Sometimes they're talking about the same thing, sometimes they're not. Um, So that's what I would say to that. Thanks, Sharon. One more, and then we'll send everyone to bed. Ash K., if hell was threatening the existence of humanity at the time before Jesus was born, how about at present times? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know at present times, because this show is called Swedenborg in Life, I get my insider info from Swedenborg, and he stopped writing, you know, before 1800. In Swedenborg's time, there was another threat that was just as dire as he was saying. That's why that second coming was happening. What's happened in the last couple hundred fifty years? Have we gone up or down? I don't know. You get people who are looking at the world and say oh, things are worse than they've ever been, but then again, there are things are actually could be better than they've been in a long time. Things like human rights seems like in a lot of ways the world is more humane than it was. So as far as this, how things are spiritually, I don't know. I can't see into that dimension and give you a firsthand. I think you know you gotta assess, you know, learn about the world, learn about how it was. Where do you think we are? And uh, yeah, be fun to learn and hopefully. Uh, at some point, 
we'll all become more aware of the spiritual world, how it works, and we'll know these things. So we won't have to be strangers with the spiritual world. And that's what we're trying to do, hopefully, on the show, is lay down some knowledge that will get us that connection. That's cool. So thanks, everybody, for watching. Really appreciate it. Uh, join us next week. It's not going to be live next week. It's going to be a pre-recorded show because it's Christmas, man. We're all going to be gone. But uh, it's going to be a very cool program. We're going to show you some behind-the-scenes stuff about footage and some testimonials from viewers like you uh, and how uh, Swedenborg's concept have helped them. So please join us for that. Uh, and this, that show will be posted. It won't be live like this, but it'll be posted right at the regular time, 8 o'clock next week. So hopefully you'll be watching then, and I will see you in the new year.